0: Hi, it's Brett Cowell, and this is the Total Life Complete podcast, coming to you from the Transformation Room of The Grove in downtown Dallas. Today I'm here with Sean Scott, CEO of Hack My Future, tech founder and activist. Hi, Sean. Welcome. Hello,
1: thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. Now, hopefully today we're going to talk a little bit about technology, um, social mobility, and perhaps about Carbo Hats, if we've got enough time later on. Sure. <laughs> the first question I ask all the guests is, how do you introduce yourself at a party when people ask who you are?
1: Uh, so my name is Sean Scott. Um, as you said, I, I run this organization called Hack My Future, where we work with kids from eight to eighteen, uh, teaching them technology skills. I, I started as a computer programmer at the age of seven, and I've done it for the last thirty-two years now. Um, and I've had a pretty good career at it. So I, I felt at this point in my career, it was it was really good to be able to give back and help train up the next generation um, to make hopefully make the industry more diverse and create more people that. Had the same story as I do.
0: And I was excited to get you on the show finally because I've, we've spoken a couple of times and I've he- heard you talk before and uh, I'm like, I would love to record that and share it with other people. <laughs> so, so hopefully the magic lightning will strike one more time and we can get it on, uh, on, on, uh, on tape or digital SD card as the case may be. Let's talk a little bit about Heck My Future then. I mean, what, why, why did you start in and what kind of need is it satisfying?
1: I'll put it this way. So like I said, I've, I've, done, I've worked in the tech industry a really long time. Um, I started at an early age and then, you know, this is really the only thing I've ever really wanted to do. Like if you asked me at 10 what I wanted to do, I would have told you a computer programmer. And that's what I am to this day. Um, However, for most of my career, you can't see this to the podcast is I'm a tall black guy. Um, But for most of my career, everywhere I've worked, I've been the only person that looks like me in every every everywhere. Um, and this is from, you know, small startup companies to working at Apple doing iTunes support. Um, and, and so I've I've adjusted to it because there's, there's there's been other activities. Like I used to be in the Dallas Youth Orchestra and at one point I was the only black kid left in that. Um, and so I'm used to like that, but I think it's time that we can do better and organizations and Companies can can be more diverse, and there, I think right now there's a huge push, especially in the tech industry, to making companies more diverse, racially, gender, gender-wise, um, and every other like metric or classification you can come up with. Um, so that's really been my, my my impetus in this: is how do I make sure that the next generation of kids that are coming up right now don't have to struggle with the same things I struggle with? And I I, I made it through fine of all of that, but I could have I'm sure my career could have gone better in certain areas um, you know and 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 the other side of it is we also know that tech is going to be the thing that's embedded in everything in the future um, when I started this in the 83 you know barely anyone had a computer at home um, there was no internet there were no cell phones or anything like anything close to that um, and this was a hobby of mine that just paid off, and it became the big thing. And I had no way of predicting that when I started, but now we absolutely know that this is going to be a thing that that everyone's going to have to be familiar with in the future. Um, and I think right now is a pretty wide open playing field. I mean, if you want to become an app developer, you need an internet connection and a computer. That's it. You can start pushing out apps, or you can build websites or whatever it is that you want to create. Um, and so I think we're at an interesting time in just history where you know you have this new tech slash industrial revolution coming, and we, we see it, but we're not quite there yet, and we have an opportunity to expose people to opportunities that don't even exist today, so there's lots of stats floating around that say the majority of jobs that are going to exist 10, 20 years from now don't even exist today, and in some part, we don't even know what a lot of those jobs will even be, but we can teach people skills on how to be prepared for them, And so that's what I want to do. Um, I want to help make the industry more diverse. I want to get more people into this because we know that you're going to need this to be successful in the future.
0: Are you targeting everybody? Which group specifically do you think?
1: So officially, our organization is looking to reach every child between the ages of eight and 18. Wow. Um, Because what I found is we put these false labels on people based on their zip code, based on their race, Um, their gender, their interests based on what their parents did 20 years ago. And none of those things have anything to do or they shouldn't have anything to do with a, a child's success. So my belief is that whether a child grows up in Highland Park or Highland Hills, they deserve access to the same stuff. And at some point we have to break down these walls that are separating those two communities. Um, So, my goal in being as diverse as possible, because that's the thing, I, I can't preach about making technology diverse if I'm not making a diverse organization. So, I can't go out and just recruit black kids or Mexican kids or low income kids or kids from one side of town and not the other side of town. I find value in bringing all these people together and putting them all in the same room at an early age and say, hey, guess what? You're all just, you were all just kids. And a couple years ago, when you're four or five years old, we could put you all all in the same room and you would just play together. You wouldn't know about race. You wouldn't know about anything that made you different. You just saw another kid. But some kind of way over the next few years, we programmed you and to start seeing these differences. And so that's where these divisions come up. Um, but at the end of the day, like when these kids are grown and they get into the corporate world, they're going to have to mingle with kids that are that are people that come from different backgrounds than them. So my thing is, let's start that early. So they're used to it. And the first time that you see somebody of a different race is not your first big job. Right. Like, you know these people because you grew up with them. And there's no reason that all these kids in Dallas shouldn't have some type of common connection because they're all from Dallas. And so when they go to events, they see each other. Um, I remember, like, when I went on my first college visits, I was running into kids that I went to elementary and middle school with. And I was seeing them for the first time again since then. So I want to build communities where everyone feels included. And I don't care about what your differences are because we're more, much more alike than we are different. But your differences are actually a positive thing because you bring something else to the table that everybody else doesn't have. Um, so that's why I don't really get into too much into like, t- targeting a specific group. Now, what I will do is if I see a group that is underrepresented, I will make specific efforts to go out and bring them to the fold. Mm -hmm. So if I see kids that live in Southern Dallas that are not getting opportunities, I will create opportunities for them. But the bigger picture is to bring them into the fold of all the other things going on in the city so that they can work alongside kids from the other side of town and they can get used to this stuff at an early age. and it benefits us all in the long run if we can like break these walls down.
0: I think that's a very enlightened uh, perspective in, in trying to solve a diversity problem by not creating another one. I think yeah. that, that's, a really, uh, that's a really enlightened approach to that. Um, every time I look at you on LinkedIn, you, you're involved in another <laughs> project. So <laughs> do you want to talk about other things you're involved in right now?
1: Um, so the biggest things that I'm, I'm doing right now, of course, there's Hack My Future, um, a few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend that runs a teen entrepreneurship program. So I'm pretty tied in professionally with anybody in town that's doing anything kind of STEM related or some type of youth program or whatever. Um, and I, I, I try to network with all these people. And so I have an open door policy. If, if I, I tell everybody if there's anything I can help you with, if there's any synergy between our programs, let me know and I'll, I'll, we'll work something out. So a friend came to me and and we got to talking about trying to find more ways for to create and help teenagers find work. Um, The world is a lot different place than it was 20 years ago. You know, when I you and I were coming out of high school, because I remember my first job was the job my dad got me. You know, you come out of high school, you don't know anybody. You don't really know much of anything other than the stuff that you learned in school. and, and so yeah, you can go, you could go apply at McDonald's or the grocery store or something like that. But beyond that, it was kind of hard to find work. Um, so luckily, you know, my dad put in some calls and he got me a job. Um, today, that situation is even more extreme because while we have social media and all these tools, we have the internet now, kids still are not able to find those first few jobs that are so vital to getting their career started. Um, so we're looking at it, you know, how do you, how do you fix that? And the way I think you do it is you, you you're intentional about it. And so we're targeting, we have this new app that's coming out soon. It's called giga Um, and it's, it's, kind of play on the words with the new gig economy and like the classified section that went away a long time ago. Um, but the premise is to start with kids at like the age 14 and start teaching them skills that align with their interests. So that they build a skill set that employers want. So it could start something as simple as at 14, hey, there's people in your neighborhood who need their yards cut. All right, get your lawnmower, go cut their yard. They'll pay you $25 for it. So now that puts money in the kid's pocket. They're starting to build a work ethic. They're learning about customer service because they're having to talk to all these adults about cutting their yards and getting the exact you know, way that they want their yard cut or whatever that may be. It could be cutting yards, it could be potentially babysitting, it could be walking your dog, coming and cleaning your house, any number of things. Um, but over time we wanna build off of that. So you start with, hey, I started with this app cutting someone's yard and I built up and I started doing some clerical work. And so I started coming into an office on a regular basis and maybe it's only a day or once a week or, you know, or you only do it for like two months. But over time, you'll start to build a portfolio of work. So then, by the time you hit our upper scale at 22, you may or may not have went to college, but you should be kind of finishing school around that time. And then when you're ready to go get your first real, real job, you can say, hey, these are all the things I've done since I was 14. It makes you a little bit more hireable at that point. Because the fact of the matter is now, and this is going to continue to, to become an issue, as when we were kids, when we went to go work work at McDonald's, we were competing against other kids. Well, now these kids are going to be potentially competing against their parents to get a job at McDonald's or some simple, you know, kind of low-wage job because so many industries are being wiped out by technology. Um, so, like I said, we know, the writing is on the wall of what's coming in the future, and. I, I think it's up to all of us that are in the know of these things to, to create solutions that are like 21st century solutions to these problems, um, so that we don't kill our society through innovation. So that's that's kind of the premise um, there. Also, you know, part of that is also introducing kids to their first bank accounts. So we're partnering up with banks, um, teaching them, you know, financial responsibility and how to manage their money and. Um, a lot of those skills that just really aren't being taught anymore. Um, and we expect people to figure them out. And unfortunately, people are not figuring them out the right way. Um, so that's probably like my next biggest initiative. And other than that, like, my, my, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I, I wanna support anybody else in town or in other places I can support and whatever they have going on. So if it's introducing people that I know or just whatever that looks like, I'm, I'm always interested in doing that.
0: Do you want to talk a little bit more about um, what is Hack My Future? How does it work? And, and you know, what, what do you have a number of programs? Is it like after school or how, how do people get involved?
1: So right now we're, we're kind of planning out our fall and um, spring semesters um, since school is starting back in a few weeks. Um, but typically the way we do the program is anywhere from an eight to ten week program and it could be. In um, some places, we're doing like an after-school coding club. Um, we did that in a number of schools in, in Dallas ISD last school year. That was hugely successful. Um, so we're going to be continuing that. We're also adding this year um, about six libraries where we'll do a mix of some after-school programs, and then we'll also do some once- or twice-a-month programs on Saturdays, um, such as like the the, the Central uh, Library down, downtown. Um, and then the other target is going to be uh, – Rec centers, um, so we're we're partnering with a, a rec center over in South Dallas, um, and we're going to launch a robotics program there in partnership with another organization. Um, so my like I said, my thing is just be ex- as intentional as possible is to expose these kids to as many opportunities as I can find, and whether it's something I do directly or if it's something I partner with someone else on, um, I just think they need to they need to see as many different things as possible so that when it's time to make a career decision, they have a lot of different things to choose from versus one or two things they may have seen somebody do or not really know much about.
0: One thing I was surprised about, you know, I kind of expected everybody learn coding these days. You know, This is me, my, my kids are a, a three and one year old, so they're not quite a, they're in, the, in the zone, but I just thought people kind of came out of the womb knowing how to use electro <laughs> <laughs> and then learn coding in kindergarten these
1: days, but that is not the case. Well. It's interesting you say that because what I found is they all understand technology. I have a daughter who will be two in October and I'm constantly pulling her away from my phone, tablets, the TV remote, my computer, because she's just drawn to this stuff. And literally at six months old, I could hand her my phone and she could unlock it. She could find the games on there and she could play them. Um, so they are, they, they come out of the womb knowing how to, to operate stuff where the disconnect is, is we're teaching kids to be consumers and we're not teaching them to be producers because my son will sit up and watch YouTube all day if I let him and he'll find all types of cartoons and stuff like that on there, or he'll find games on the computer or whatever. Um, which I'm like, all right, that's fine. You know, especially in the summertime, you're out of school and I know you want a break. However, what if you spent just a portion of that time creating your own thing? What if you created your own YouTube channel and had people following you? Same amount of time, same amount of energy, but you're actually creating something where you get benefit of it other than just supporting someone else's platform. And what I found over the last couple of years of, of the work that we've done It's something as simple as giving kids the permission to do these things and saying, you can do it, I'm gonna give you the resources you need to do it. And the the biggest question I ask them every time I work with a new group of kids is if you could create any type of app and throw out all the stuff that you don't know um, or you're not unsure about or whatever, and just give me your best idea for an app, what would your app do? I can ask that to a third grader, I can ask it to an 11th grader. They're gonna give me an answer of something interesting my next thing is, all right, now let's go build that. And the thing I found is no one's ever told them they could do that before. And it, it's, it's tough, um, but we get it. You know, we, there's plenty of bright adults out here that can help. Um, but that's, that's the key is like telling them, hey, you can do this. Um, you know, when I was a kid, mobile phones didn't exist, so I had to learn this stuff too. Um, and, and, you know, the iPhone's only 10 years old, so it hadn't been that long that we all learned you know, app development. Um, but at the end of the day, if you can learn how to program anything, it's all pretty similar. Um, and so the, the, I, think, I just think that's, that's the key, is exposing them to this stuff and giving them permission and letting them know they can do it and then just giving them the resources they need to make it happen. And I, I've seen, like, tremendous impacts in that. And you get kids that when they first get there, they don't want to be there. But then when they get started and stuff, they don't want to go home. Because they're just so excited and engaged in what they're doing.
0: So there's the STEM and, you know, science, tech, engineering, and math, or, or maths for the international people are listening here. Um, so there's kind of some, some capabilities. Um, but then there's also kind of a mindset thing as well. And then there's um, relationships. So in the mindset, like you were saying, it's do... You know, be a creator, not just a consumer of something. You can do that. And, and it's like flicking a switch in people's minds. And even if they, you know, to be successful anyway, you've got to perhaps adapt to the conditions and learn, No, you know, not, don't, not just learn one programming language and never deviate from that. You've got to see an opportunity or react to a situation as well. So you kind of teach kids a mindset about problem solving and how to approach life in addition to teaching them a skill.
1: Yeah. And, that, and that's the biggest thing, I think, that we try to drive home in everything that we do um the biggest skills that you can possess in this world at this point in time I think are problem solving critical thinking and like communication skills if you can master those three things I don't care what you decide you want to do in your career you're going to be successful at it because every career requires aspects of all three of those things um unfortunately Due to like our test driven culture in schools, we've kind of gotten away from that because now kids are really good at memorizing stuff, which is cool. Like they need that skill as well. But if you throw a different thing at them that they've never seen before, they don't know how to come up with that answer because it's not pre-programmed into their their brain. Um, And so my thing is we used to teach you the basic skills on just how to solve problems. Um, so if you, if you saw a pattern in something that you would know how to do it this way, or if you saw a different pattern, you would approach it a different way. And with that mindset, it may take a little bit longer to learn that, but you can apply that to anything. And, I mean, I'm talking, like, math or, like, anything. You have any you relationship advice. You just think, you think through things. And at the end of the day, as computer programmers, all we do is we take a large problem, And we break it down into smaller problems. And we keep breaking those things down until we get something that we can we can solve. And then we solve problem one, we solve problem two, and so on, until finally we finally put all that together and we've solved a large program. Solved a large problem, and then we shift that, and that's a product. That's all we're doing. And it's the same concept that can be applied to pretty much every other part of your life. Talking about technology trends now a little bit, what other sort of
0: key trends are on your mind? Because I know you kind of watch trends and you, you tweet about stuff quite often.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I think probably the biggest trends that I see right now is automation and artificial intelligence. Um, and I, I just had a conversation with one of the leading guys here in town that, that, that builds like robots and stuff. And he's real big in robotics. And he just came back from the Aspen Institute in Colorado, where they just had this big summit on, on on this topic. And he was telling me just some of his fears because of the way that we're heading. And I've I've had this conversation a number of times because data is going to basically rule every aspect of our lives. And right now we're generating a ton of it. And no one has to, to date, no one's really figured out, other than maybe Google or Facebook. But outside of those two, no one has really figured out how to use all this data that we're generating and all the different things that we do. Um, and they're basically just using it to, to serve us, serve people ads and, and make money off of it to fuel their businesses. But there's lots of other ways to use some of this data. Um, so he was telling me, you know, one, one thing that they're looking at is kind of like, remember the movie Minority Report, where police could predict... People who will commit crimes before they before they happened. So he was saying that one of the companies that makes the body cameras is, is kind of rebranding themselves um, to add facial recognition to those body cameras so police officers could then walk around the streets and you know, this is all getting uploaded to the cloud somewhere and getting processed instantly, and they can identify potential criminals or actual criminals in a crowd of people as they're just on their beat. Um, and it's, you know, we got to look into, like, there's privacy issues with that. Um, there's also the issue of, you know, like the movie, the biggest issue in the movie is how do you prosecute for somebody, somebody for something they haven't done yet? But, you know, because there's so much data and, you know, anybody knows anything about statistics knows if you want to prove a point, you can find the numbers to justify it. You just gotta find the right set of numbers. So there's, there's data out there that says if kids can't read by third grade, they're probably gonna end up in, in, in prison when they become an adult. Because there's some data set that justifies that, that, that prediction. Um, and so the issue is going to be who's writing these data sets and these algorithms and if it's only one set of people that comes up with this stuff and they have a, they have a purpose in mind for the outcome that they want to see, what can they do with that? And so this is why I think it's so important that we get as many people into this stuff now as we can. So if we see something that's wrong, we can speak up. And we have the professional knowledge behind us that people will listen to us when we say, no, that's not, that's not quite right just because a kid struggled in third grade doesn't necessarily mean that you need to prepare a prison cell for him in 10 years. Like there's there's tons of intervention that can happen over 10 years to prevent that from from being reality. Um so we need we need alternative perspectives for this stuff. Um and so it's it's, it's just a lot of stuff like that that I think is coming down the road. Um and like I said, you know with with like automation and stuff, people see you know Amazon, for example, and at this point, Amazon started with these huge warehouses back in the late 90s, and they, they were kind of one of the first companies to start using robots to, to kind of automate their warehouse. So they started out small with some really simple stuff, and, and now we're to the point where now the people in the warehouses don't move, but the, the robots bring the m- merchandise to the person, and the robots do all the moving around the warehouse facility. Well eventually, they're gonna replace that person too. And we're not quite there yet, but the, the, all these industries, people are slowly being moved out of them. As, as technology moves faster, we can put more chips in things, and internet connecti- connectivity becomes faster. Um, we're slowly gonna start to phase people out. I saw a, a YouTube video of a construction robot that laid bricks, something really simple. And they had the traditional bricklayers out there building this brick wall that was like 100 feet high or something like that um, and they basically have to feed the bricks and mortar into the machine and then it lo- lays them very slowly but it does it precisely and it doesn't make mistakes and so they're asking one of the workers like do you see this as a threat to your job and he was like nah because it's super slow um, it does the job right but it's it's really really slow and I can lay bricks faster than it can But the thing that he failed to realize is that robot never takes a smoke break. That robot never gets hurt. He doesn't have to call in. His kids don't get sick. Like, that robot, you turn it on and it just runs. And it may run slow right now because it's the first generation model. But when we get to generation five and six, that robot is going to throw up a hundred foot tall brick wall in five minutes and not require a single person on that job site to do that. So... It's coming, we're not there yet, but all these industries are gonna get impacted by this stuff. And so I just think it's really important for us to understand that, and not take these things for granted because we don't necessarily see them right now. You know, you and I are in our 40s and there's probably a lot of stuff that we're never gonna see in our lifetime, but our kids and grandkids will. Um, So it's our job to prepare them more than anybody to say, look, this is this is you know this is going to be your future. Um, transportation jobs are not going to exist anymore because it's going to all be automated. Um, construction jobs, or a lot of those, are going to go away. Um, all this manual stuff where people are touching things just won't be necessary. So, what do you do when you eliminate like 30 to 40 percent of the entire workforce? Um, and not to the point where you like a company laid off people like, no, the entire industry went away. And that's all those people were ever trained to do is that one job. And now they nobody's hiring for that anymore. And so that's a scary picture to some degree. Um, but that's what's going to happen. And we have to prepare now for that.
0: Some of those jobs that might be going away, the same professional jobs that, um, you know, people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> might be. in And certainly an observation I had in working in consulting is that there's increasing automation coming in, in in lots of the analytics parts and, and some AI tools to do data analysis and, and things like that already. And I think audit and other some of the other services um, were, were being automated as well. My question was going to be, should people try and prepare for increased automation and other technical trends and how should they prepare?
1: It would serve you well, no matter what you do right now, to find some area of technology and learn something about it. Um, there's tons of resources online that are free or very low cost. Lots of universities are handing out data science degrees if you work through the programs. Um, I think I saw something at MIT where they're granting master's degrees for people that don't even have an undergrad degree. You take some introductory classes and if you do well in those two classes, they let you in the program and if you don't have the money, they'll, they'll, they'll give you the money to, they'll, they'll cover the cost of your degree. Um, so, so I, I think, you know, the opportunity is there. Um, but you know, people like you and I, we really have to do everything that we can to make sure that people know and take this seriously because what we don't want to happen is we get to the point where all this stuff is reality and everyone's like, oh, I should have taken advantage of that when I was told about that 10 years ago, because at that point it's going to be too late. And I honestly have no idea what our society looks like at that point. Um, you know, sometimes I equate it to like the movie Hunger Games, where you have this elite society and you have this other sub society that kind of just gets by. Um, and that's a scary picture, but I. you
0: doing bad now or the future? Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it won't be very, very far from now. Um, and we have some of those issues even now. Um, You know, Dallas is is commonly talked about as leading the nation amongst large cities in child poverty, um, which is absolutely ridiculous. Let me let me say that Um, because of the resources that we have in this city that makes there is no legitimate reason for that to that to be the case. Um, And even the entire United States should not have issues where people are living worse than some people living in third world countries because of the amount of wealth that we have here. Um, and we know that that wealth divide continues to grow. Um, but we, at some point, we, we, it gets to a point where you just can't keep going in the same direction. And we have to figure out something else. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really pleading with people and you know I don't care what side of the aisle you're on politically, Like at some point we have to set all that stuff aside and say, look, at the end of the day, someone else's failure is my failure. And I can't consider myself a success if my next door neighbor is living in the dark. (laughs) And and that's I think that's what it comes down to. So we have to, you know, remember how we uh, rallied together after 9-11 and it was just all about America at that point. That's what we have to get back to somehow and realizing that we're all in this together and it's literally, we all sink or we all swim, um, but we cannot like get on two separate boats and let it be acceptable for that whole other boat to just drown. Like we just can't let that happen.
0: So this uh, crisis in plain sight that's happening with the um, inequality and, and all that sort of stuff is something that you personally are making a call to action to. And I, th- I think it's something that what you're doing is addressing that in some in some ways through giving people the skills I'm doing, I guess, interviews like this and getting and getting the the word out there as well because I mean, certainly, I think in you know in, in my book and that people have heard on the podcast before. I think you know as professionals, even if you wanted to take a selfish perspective of it and say what's going to help make my life better, I think you'd have to look at your own career path and and the way jobs are changing and careers are evolving and. um you know, look at what your core skills and differentiators are. And I, I completely agree with your advice. Just be informed about technology. I, you know, I certainly don't feel I was well informed about technology, even working as a, as a strategy consultant, because the ins and outs of every single thing that has changed, um, leaving that and, and coming back into founding a startup is uh, was shocking <laughs> to, to me at how how, how much things had moved along. But, you know, I'd certainly advocate people you know, preparing themselves for the way the jobs are going to change, but also the, the path to their own happiness is to look towards
1: their neighbor as
0: well. You know, it's not, it's not to look internally for long. You've got to understand what you can do and how you can contribute, but then it's to, to look around you as well.
1: And let me also just say, like, I don't want to make this like all doom and gloom. Like I think tech is really, really cool. And I think this is going to create some amazing opportunities that we can think about right now in our wildest dreams. And I think that's gonna be extremely fun for a lot of people. My concern though is for the people that don't get to take advantage of these things that come up come about. Like, you know, Uber is about to start testing flying cars in Dallas. This is one of like two or three test markers they have in the world for that. Um, I think it would be kind of cool to, you know, not have to drive in traffic on six thirty-five um in rush hour or down seventy-five and and be able to just levitate to wherever i wanted to go i think that's pretty cool and that's going to happen here very very soon but we just have to look at both sides of all these issues and at some point we have to decide just because we have the skills and technology to do something should we actually do it um because sometimes the answer is going to be yes but a lot of times that answer is probably going to be no if we if we're honest and we can look at the negative impact of some of the stuff that we want to do if you
0: look at the technology press, you know, there's a few prominent folks there. You almost think they're running for president or something. <laughs> you know, they want to, hey, there are the answers to everything. Cause I, I know certainly being in tech early in my, in my career specifically and kind of, Tapping into all that, there was very much a spirit of you know twenty years ago of you know tech's going to solve uh, hunger, or illness, you know all, all of this sort of stuff, and we'll all be living in a happy utopian society. That hasn't happened yet, and if it has, no one's told me or shown it where it is. I don't know where those people are at. <laughs> but but uh, you know there was this kind of perception that because I think maybe. You know, you know, geeks are the rock stars of, of, of today. You know, and and you know, people might have listened to what Bono was saying before, and now people listen to uh, Musk or Zuckerberg or whatever yeah, about, yeah. about the thing and saying. But I, I, I just wonder, are, are tech company uh, executives the best people to listen to about how to create a society <laughs> in, in future or not? Should we have a should we have a, a tech founder being the next president, or is that a bad idea?
1: <laughs> um. Well. I don't think you can you can make an assumption or general rule across the the industry. Um, It is interesting that right now on the West Coast, there's a there's a reckoning happening uh, amongst tech executives, venture capitalists, um, and mainly the males in this industry where you're starting to see some of their bad behavior catch up to them. And, you know, it's 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 been unfortunate. Um, but a lot of people were taken advantage of. And a lot of that is due to, like, our masculine-dominated society where we just let this stuff slide on the rug or we said it it was acceptable because of the person that was doing it. Um, So I'm I'm glad to see that, you know, we're starting to deal with some of these things that people have been saying are issues for a really long time. Like, sexual harassment is nothing new. Um, But now we're starting to finally see... That is, it's starting to become taken seriously. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know that every tech CEO or leader is, you know, the most moral or the most ideal person to lead us. But I think there are some good ones out there. Um, and I, I, honestly, I, I think most of these people mean well in in what they're doing. Um, it, it does go back to how how fragmented we've been as a society historically. So they don't necessarily understand everyone else's perspective because they've never spent any, around, any time around all these other people. They, they're, they've they lived in a closed bubble. Um, and you can fault whoever you want to fault with that, but that's just the reality of the situation. Um, but I think as we can break down some of these barriers and, and, and bring people into rooms that they haven't h- historically been inside of and bring them to some of these tables, we can solve some of these issues because none of these issues are things that we just have to has to be the status quo. Um, every issue that plagues our society has a solution. It just depends on if we're serious enough to to, to implement whatever that solution may be. I'm just thinking as
0: you're speaking now of, of uh, Silicon Valley seceding and kind of floating out and being its own, uh, which I've heard uh, reports, uh, some people think that's a good idea. But then again, we're sitting in Texas. So, you know, there's probably <laughs> a few people that think that's a good idea, too. So um, anyway, let's talk a little bit about your journey. How did you get from a, a computer programming seven-year-old to here? It hasn't been a, necessarily a straight line. Just tell us a little bit it's, about how it's, gonna...
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of been all over the place. Um, so when I was seven... Um, I'm originally from San Antonio. My mom grew up there, and my parents met in college at North Texas in Denton, which is about an hour north of Dallas, and, you know, she got pregnant with me in college and moved back home, and so we stayed down there until I was about four, and then we moved up here with my dad, and I've lived in Dallas ever since, Um, so I would spend my summers back in San Antonio with my grandparents, and they were both teachers at the time. And so one summer, my grandma bought a computer because she she wanted you know it was it was affordable enough and she needed a way to kind of keep up with her grades and stuff electronically. Um, so then I come down, and I see the computer and I was like, oh, what's that? And you know, she showed it to me and she she bought me a couple of games and stuff like that. And uh, I just like I was instantly drawn to it. And this literally, sun up to sundown, that's all I would do all day. Um, She didn't really think a lot of it at the time, I'm sure initially, Um, but it kept me out of trouble, kept me out of her hair, like I would just sit in the back room on the computer all day. Um, But over time, um, I have another aunt that she was, she spent her career as an engineer for the Air Force. Um, She was an electrical engineer. And between her and my grandmother, they would take me to Radio Shack and buy me electronics kits and programming books. And so, you know, I learned basic back in the day um, we had monochrome displays and and all that kind of stuff, and so like it, I just I just uh, took to it. Um, then I would come back home and I didn't have access to a computer much, um, but then I, I I read a lot. Well, I read magazines, so PC Magazine and Byte Magazine, and anytime if I was in a store, that I saw a computer magazine, I was either going to buy it or I was gonna at least spend some time over there looking through the pages. Um, and this was. I mean, this was—I started this before the first 286 processor came out, the 8086 and 8088, uh, which most people have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, and then by the time I got to be a freshman in high school, um, some of the first like 286 computers came out, and then later that year, the 380, the first 386 came out. And I had a computer math class my freshman year of high school. Um, learned Pascal, and uh, my teacher upgraded his computer in the class to a 386, and like I, I literally lived in his class f- from that point on. Um, and that just really, that's, that's what got me going. And then so later that year, my grandma bought me my own computer, so that was my first like computer of my own. Um, it didn't have a hard drive in it. Um, I think a 40 meg hard drive was $300 at that point in time, which, you know... That's a fraction of a thumb drive these days. Um, so you know, to do all the the work, you had to just put different floppy disk in, depending on what program that you wanted to run. Um, so yeah, that's 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 how I kind of stayed kind of into the industry. Um, so I just I consumed whatever I could find, um, even though I didn't have access to any of it. And then when I finally got to college, you know, I majored in computer science, and then it was just off to the races from there. Is it right that you were in the Army at some stage? Is that correct? I, I was. Um, so interesting story. I, uh, I graduated high school valedictorian. I went to college on a full scholarship, and I flunked out my first year. Um, largely because I had really bad study habits. I, I went through grade school on the premise I was just smart, and I could digest information really fast and easily. So I never studied. Um, But if you ever gave me a test or anything, I never had a problem on a single test I ever took. Um, And that got me through 12 years of school, literally. Like, I didn't do homework, um, but you gave me a test. Like, it was guaranteed I was going to get a grade on that. Um, And my teachers were lenient with me because I didn't cause problems. So they let me turn in, work late, and stuff like that. So anyways, I got to college, and that didn't fly anymore because I had so much work to do. Um, And so, you know... My my second year, I wasn't invited back. And I was sitting at home that summer, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And just this idea just randomly popped in my head. Hey, go join the Army. Um, I don't know where that idea came from that day. But I ran with it and went around the corner to the recruiter's office and signed up, took some tests and all that kind of stuff. Um, chose my job. I was a truck driver. And that August, I left. So, yeah. And um, I did a year of active duty, another seven years in the reserves, Um, probably one of the most impulsive decisions I've ever made in life, but also one of the best. And it it came back to the same thing we're talking about earlier when when I talked about exposure, because going to the military was completely different than the path I was on previous to that. Um, it was something I actually never considered, and I thought people were crazy for doing it. But a lot of them, like, my grandfather, my uncles, they had all been in the military at some point. Um, so, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, well, they all did it. So it can't be that bad. And it really wasn't like it was it was an eye opening experience. Um, but I, I met people from all over the world. Actually, I, I went to basic training with a guy that was from Kuwait, um, which was really interesting. Um, but it just exposed me to all this different stuff that I never saw before. Um, I got to travel a little bit, um, learned a bunch of skills, shot every kind of weapon you can imagine, which was great. Like, I love that part. Um, the only problem comes when people start shooting back at you, then it's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I I loved it. Um, it challenged me in every way possible. Um, and now it's actually even better because no matter where I go, if the if the conversation comes up that i'm a veteran like i always find other veterans um whether i'm on a flight somewhere um or i'll see a guy hanging outside of a CVS asking for money and i have no problem giving them money like if i'm going to give anybody money that's who i'm going to give it to simply because i i identify with what they've been through um and as a country we don't i don't think we do a good enough job taking care of them fortunately for me i'm good like You know, I don't have any disabilities or anything like that. Um, I actually never even went to war. I came close in 2004, but I didn't. I I didn't get sent to Iraq. Um, And so these guys are, you know, they're going through some stuff, and that's that's really the best way I can put it. And I I think they need all the help they can get. Um, So anytime I get to help out in those kind of situations, I have absolutely no problem doing it. And it's not always monetary. It's it's sometimes it's literally just like a handshake and like, hey. What, what, what branches did you serve in? You know, I was in the army, I did such and such. You know, what was your MOS? Um, and it's just a friendly conversation from somebody who understands. Because fair and not, civilians just don't get it. Um, because it's just, like I said, it's a completely different set of circumstances for everything, every aspect of life. Um, and we're completely isolated from that as civilians. And we don't understand what goes on in that whole, it's literally a whole other world and you have military bases that are inside of a major city and you have absolutely no idea what's going on on the other side of that fence. Um, so yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I love to, to get involved with other veterans and other initiatives to help them out. Um, and you know, I, I recommend it for anybody that's interested. Like, I think it's a good way to just grow as a person, um, especially for youth that may not know what they wanna do. You can go there, learn skills for free, Um, of course it's a little bit different right now with all the instability in the world but you know it's 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 service and i think that's the the ultimate level of service that you can provide is to keep your country safe um you don't necessarily agree with all the political policies and stuff like that but at the end of the day like i did my part and that's 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 what you know i guess makes me feel good
0: so you you'd finished in the army and then you went back and resumed your tech trajectory. Yeah, I came that. back
1: home and I went back, you know, I worked a little bit. Um went back to school. Um still struggled a little bit and then finally hit my stride. I started my first company in like two thousand down in Austin. And after that in two thousand one I went back to school at Devry. And then at that point it all made sense because I had professional experience at that point to draw from. Um if I had got my first company off the ground, I'd probably be a billionaire right now. Um, but I didn't have the educational side to back up what I wanted to do. Um, so going through school was like it was it was hands-on and it was exactly what I wanted to do all this time. And I finally I finally figured it out. Um, so yeah, at that point, I think I was finally ready for school where I wasn't before. Um, And I I didn't struggle nearly as much.
0: What do you think about people trying to discover their passions and purpose in life? Is that something that you discover, uncover? Does it hit you or is the idea to just get so busy that you don't have time to worry
1: about that? I think it's a little bit of all of those. I think everyone's here for some particular purpose, um, first of all. Um, I think throughout your life, your life gives you a lot of clues as to what that may be. And it's up to us to have the courage to do it um, because we can always find a million excuses as to why I'm not ready for, to do that right now. Um, but when I look back at the last 30 years of my life and career, I've just seen like all these small things that I did along the way. Um, I got started as a web developer because I, uh, I bought a book in college about PHP development. And I I went to Barnes Noble, bought it just out of curiosity um, because I kind of heard about it. And I put the book on the bookshelf for like two years. And then literally two years later, I I found a contract with the city of Austin to develop a website um, that they needed done. And it had to be done in PHP. Um, So I I went back to that book and learned PHP like overnight. Um, But that's literally what set me up for the next... 15 years of my career, and that's what I've been kind of doing ever since. And it all started from a random book purchase that I made at a bookstore. Um, and I just think about all the doors that have been opened up for me. It's it's just been because, like, I've just said, yeah, I'll do it. Um, so I, I tell people all the time, like, right now I'm at a point in my life where if people ask me to do stuff, I typically just don't say no, whether I'm prepared for it or if I know where it's going to lead. Because I'm like, I just, I know just how I got to this point and how random stuff may have seemed when I did it, but because I did it, another door opened up, then another door opened up, and another one after that. Um, And and so I I think I'm really fortunate because, like I said, I'm doing the one thing I've always wanted to do. Um, I I started it a long time ago, and I've done a lot of other stuff. I mean, I've been a janitor before. Um, I've worked in like done a lot of manual labor type stuff but it all led back to this. Um, And I I think you just have to understand that it it is a process. Um, And I I think about like my very first job, I I worked in a furniture warehouse and we went out to companies and installed like cubicles and and conference room tables like the one we're sitting at. And I I went to half the office buildings in Dallas doing this. Um, And I remember getting discouraged because I was like, I'm too smart to be doing this. And I'm coming in all through all these companies to the dock. And then one day it finally hit me uh, about three years ago. Um, JCPenney was sponsoring a hackathon that we were putting together. And I had worked at JCPenney setting up cubicles like 10 years before that. And so the day that I walked through the front door of JCPenney and went in and met with some C-level executives there and sat at a conference room table like this, and I'm like, now I'm sitting at the tables that I used to put together. And so that's when it all came full circle. But you have to start at the dock. We don't start in the boardroom, you know, at, with a seat at the table. That's just not that's not how life goes. Um, and You have to be willing to go through all that uncomfortable stuff to get where you're going to go. But eventually it's going to all come together and you're not going to understand it. Uh, but then one day you'll look back and you like, oh, well, now I get it. Um, so yeah, I, th- I, I think there's a lot that goes into that, but I, I highly encourage people to find whatever they're passionate about and follow that because it may, you may think there's no money in it, but there's money in everything. If there's enough passion behind what you're doing and you'll figure that you'll, you'll figure that stuff out.
0: I like the metaphor of, of building your own table, sea level sweet <laughs> boardroom table, and then sitting at it because in, in a lot of ways that's, uh, that's about realizing your potential talk a little bit about dallas now as well i mean um quite often uh, you know i asked the, the guests to explain you know in a, in a like collective therapy session for people living in dallas what is this city all about you know and we talked a little bit about it already you know how do you explain dallas to other people um that might be in other countries and how do you explain it to people that, that are here what's this place all about what's the heartbeat of it
1: i think that answer is different for everyone because at this point dallas has just become a melting pot of everybody from everywhere um i i can remember back in the 80s and before we had all these uh high rises everywhere um dallas was relatively flat outside of you know downtown um we didn't have toll roads everywhere and all that kind of stuff um and it was a relatively homogenous culture i think back then um but through technology and just advancing of time, like now this is, the, this is where everybody's coming. Um, so for some people, Dallas is, is a step up from like living in a really rural area. And they come, they come here for opportunity because their small town basically doesn't exist anymore and they need work. Um, for other people, Dallas is downsizing because they come from LA. Um and their company moved here or they they moved here because it's cheaper to live here than it is in live in LA. Um, then you have the people that are used to like living either in Dallas or another city that's pretty similar to that. And it's it's just so much opportunity here now. Um and I, I think that's what excites me the most. Um and I, and I say this quite a bit because I think Dallas is diverse to the point where pretty much everything you need can be found here somewhere. So if you want to work for a startup, there's, there's, there's a whole startup ecosystem. If you want to go the corporate route, there's that. If you want to work in tech or oil and gas or medicine or whatever industry that you're interested in, this is well represented here. Um, you know, there's lot, lots of government jobs here um, because Dallas is just, you know, one of the major hubs of this region. Um, we have an airport that's one of the busiest airports in the world, so you can get in and out of here really quickly. Um, so I, I think the definition of what Dallas is is still kind of unwritten and kind of what Dallas will become, um, because we still face a lot of a lot of problems and struggles. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of smart people here, both young and old, that are working um, to make Dallas just a better city overall. and. We're not gonna always get it right, but I think we're moving the needle in the right direction, and I, that's uh, that's literally all you can really do. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm real curious to see like what Dallas looks in ten years looks like ten years from now, compared to like today or the city that I grew up in because it's much different now than it was when I was a child, um, and it's gonna be a much different city for my children as they they grow and become adults as well.
0: One of the first times I ever met you, you were um Talking a little bit about uh, the I thirty divide, and, right. and uh, you know how, how you couldn't get meal deliveries in South Dallas at one stage. Do you want to just recap that story a little bit?
1: Well, you know, Dallas has a a, a bit of a dark past. Um, in some ways, it's pretty; it's still a pretty segregated city of different pockets of people. Um, so, one of the biggest dividing lines is I thirty that runs east and west, and runs all the way from my house in Rowlett to you know the other side of Fort Worth. Um, and, and and so the issue came up where there was a food delivery company that didn't deliver food from restaurants or other tasks that you wanted done. They didn't deliver south of 30. Found out about it. Um, I kind of just called them out on Twitter. I wasn't expecting it to, to blow up until what it, it did. But I, I showed a picture of their delivery map and just asked them like, why is you know how is that acceptable and, and what's going on with that and and lots of other people on Twitter saw it um, and it, it blew up into this big viral thing um, you know the company was favored they reached out back to me and we we, we talked about it and worked through it um, early in July they announced an expansion that included most of the areas that are south of 30 in Dallas um, except when you go way far south like getting closer to i-20 um, on their, their their behalf, they said, you know, they've never been to Dallas, so they didn't necessarily know the history here. Um, but they fixed the problem in like a month. Um, the other part of the issue was that the same thing happened when Amazon came to Dallas, the same thing happened when Uber came to Dallas, and I'm seeing other issues where kind of 30 is the, the demarcation point for certain services. You go south to 30, the internet speeds drop off like dramatically um and so there's there's lots of these issues that have cropped up but like i said i i I think we're at a point in time where people are not accepting these things as just the status quo and are willing to stand up and do something about it um and so that's what i saw in that whole issue was you know people from all parts of town were like no that's wrong um and that's that's that was the reason it got fixed so fast um and I, I really didn't like go into it like threatening them or anything like that. But they understood really quickly. If you pissed off a whole city of people the size of Dallas, that's not good for business. And um, if you get labeled as a company that's being discriminatory, that's that's not good in 2017. Um, so, that, like like I said, they were actually really good to work with. Um, I still talk to their team um, periodically, um, and and introduce other people that may have other businesses that complement their services. Um so we have we have, we actually have a really good relationship at this point. Um but because Dallas does have this history of being divided, there's still a lot of remnants from that in 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 various aspects of the city. Um and so we still have a ways to go to get a lot of those issues resolved. Um because you know like I told them, I think that as a business if you're going to operate in Dallas then you need a you need a serve all of Dallas and, and not pick and choose. This, these people over here are, are good customers. And, but those people over there, like, we just won't deal with them because we're all Dallasites at the end of the day. And I think we're all in this together.
0: I think in my intro, I I called you an activist is one of the things there. And there's, 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 there's these other terms like, uh, I don't know whether you'd self-describe yourself as that. And, I, 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 you know, that might have given people a certain impression, I think. And now after our conversation, you realize that you've done lots of things for, I think, the right, the right reasons. And whether that makes you an activist or not, I don't know. But taking action is, is part of that well, as opposed I, I, to not yeah, taking I action. I would
1: say in some regards, I'm a bit of an accidental activist. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I, I think the bigger part for me is recognizing that we all have some type of platform because of who we are. Um, and I've been on Twitter since they first launched back in 2006 or whenever that was. Um, and I have a couple thousand followers at this point. So that means there's a couple thousand people out there somewhere in this world that care about what I have to say. Um, and that, that holds a certain like social currency. There's social currency behind that. Um, so that when I speak up on certain things, people see it and you know, it activates something in them and like, it amazes me the stuff that I publish in social media that people pay an interest in. And like a lot of times it's folks that don't necessarily like or comment on it, but they still read it. And then I'll, you know, I, I um, about a month and a half ago, I went on this, made this lifestyle decision to try to go vegan and vegetarian for a while, um, just to be healthier and, and learn more about that and just challenge myself to see if I could do it. And what, what struck me was the number of people that have come up to me since then that said they did the same thing because they saw me do it. And I never asked anybody else to do it or anything like that. I just said, this is what I'm doing. And people showed their support. And now like a lot of people are making healthier food decisions because of something that I did. Um, so I think, I think you just have to recognize when you do have a platform and, and use that platform to the best of your ability to affect change. Um, and whether you want to be considered an activist or whatever you want to call that, you know, is, is, is to me is, is kind of irrelevant. Um, but I think we all have a, a piece of that in us. Yeah, there's
0: something about being a, just a good member of the community and using the tools and, and platform at your disposal to try and steer things in the right way for the most number of people. I said at the start we might have, uh, might talk about cowboy hats. And, you know, you were, you were recognized as being a high potential person under 40 and in by one of the business journals here. And, and in it, you're wearing a big cowboy hat. Is that your normal attire, mate? Or you're not wearing it today?
1: Is that? Um, no. So I think that's only the second time in life that I've donned a cowboy hat. Um, when they, when they were arranging the photo shoot for that, they, they said, We want you all to be cowboy chic. And I was like, "All right, you know, it's fun. Whatever, I don't care." Um, so I, I probably took it further than the rest of my class did um, with the hat um, and, and the rest of my attire. But you know, it's funny because everyone remembers that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, it's a good. Yeah. So like, I, I've gotten lots and lots of comments about it. Um, I don't think it was one of my most flattering pictures, but it was one that stuck out um and now here we are two years later and it still comes up i guess people have got this this real impression of dallas because you haven't been here you know
0: there's kind of like cattle rustling and then this ranches, is you know kind of in downtown and a list sort of stuff good some time now just to talk about your current projects and anything you want to let the listeners know about something that's coming up something you
1: want to remind them of that we talked earlier anything like okay that. um so you know like we talked about earlier if you have a child in the dallas area um, that's interested in anything dealing with STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, my organization is here to support their learning of that stuff. Um, so whether it's, it's a program that we personally hold or there's a partner organization that I know of, um, we, we definitely encourage people to reach out to us and we can at least point you in the right direction for something, even if it's in another city, because I have connections all over the country in this in this industry now. Um, and, and so that's going to be a big thing as as we go back to school. Um, so the Gigify its app it'll be out here pretty soon, next few weeks. Um, so if you have a teenager that you want to put to work on something and you want them out of your pocket and starting to make their own money, then then that's what that's all about. Um, also, if you're an organization or you know somebody that wants to hire, or even we we're, we're actually going to even support volunteer opportunities. Um, to connect them with that that's another way to gain skills that's there's no financial um, compensation but it's a good way to gain a good skill um, there's tons of folks out here that need volunteers for things um and that's really about those are the biggest two projects that i'm working on right now um i do some other like software consulting so i mean i guess if people need to be pointed in the right direction on technology projects, they can reach out to me for that as well.
0: We'll put all the links in the show notes there so people can, can find um, yeah, Hack My Future and the, and, and, the other, um, and the app, et cetera, going forward. Now, we talked a little bit about passion and purpose. I mean, is there any, just in closing, is there any other life lessons or observations or things you want people to think about as they think about getting the most out of life and reaching their potential?
1: Well, I, I would say, kind of echoing what I was saying earlier, um... I think we all have the power to to impact change in this world. Um, and some may have more power to do so, but all of us have some type of platform. Um, also, like I said, we're, we're all in this game together. Um, none of us win by watching someone else lose. And we really need to get out of that mentality um one of the things I tell kids that I work with is that I'm pouring everything I can possibly pour into you at this point because one day we're going to hand the keys of society over to you and I need to know that you're not going to kill us in the process. Um so whether, you know, that's you becoming my doctor one day, um you could be my lawyer or you could be you could literally be the engineer that designs the freeways that I drive on or I'm driven on in the future. I need you to keep me alive there as long as possible. And so I, I really want them to just be as prepared as possible for when it's their turn to run the world. Um, and I, I think we all have a responsibility to to share that work because it's not something I can do or you can do alone. Um, but that that's the, that's the best investment we can make um, in the future is making sure these kids have what they need to be successful when they become adults.
0: Sean Scott, thanks for joining me today. All right, thank you. To get the transcript of today's episode, please visit www.totallifecomplete.com, where you can also sign up to be notified of new episodes and events. Starting next month in September, we're going to be having some cool events in Dallas where you can meet and hear more from some of the guests from the show. And also there'll be some learning and networking opportunities for you to explore your own Total Life Complete journey and find ways to engage in your community. (laughs)